I'm sorry, I didn't get the mic turned around in time. Linoleum life. <laughs> a podcast of the cinema starring you, Dave White, me, Alonzo Duraldi. We both write reviews for the rap. Uh, I co-host other podcasts. We are married to each other. And that's really all anybody needs to know. But if you stick around, you're going to learn so many other things. Well, sure. I just meant for Not just about cinema. Yeah. There's nothing we can really teach you about cinema. Not, well. We're not, you know. We could teach somebody about cinema. We're professional film critics, but we're not, you know, professors. Um, actually, you are. I have been one. You have been one. And I was a teacher. All right, we are. You're going to learn a lot. <laughs> Pencils out, everybody. That's right. A little quizzy. <laughs> After we're done. Uh, oh, it, do you feel yes. a sense of relief every fall that you don't have to go back to school, either as a student or a teacher? Because mm. I have to say, I do. <laughs> I um, As much as I miss certain aspects of the school year structure, when I see people like, you know, gotta, gotta wrap up summer because kids are going off to school, right. I just think, mm, not me. I um, am uh, weird. Because there was nothing that made me happier in August as a child than the prospect of going to buy new school supplies. Oh, no, no, no. As a kid, I was totally a dork about this. And that carried into the first month or so of school right. for me. Like, I was so happy to be... Did you, you have know, a pencil box? I did, actually. When I was in elementary school, I had a pencil box. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was, you know, 1971, and children used pencils then. Yes. I don't know what they're using now. Uh, I guess everyone brings a, a little it's all laptop or whatever. I don't, know. I don't know what happens in schools. Um, I had even one, when I was a teacher, there were not computers in the classroom yet. I had one of those plastic pouches with like a sort of a Ziploc-y thing that you would put like pencils uh, and pens yes. in. And then it had, but it was a three ring, so it would clink into your binder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I get it. Uh, I still feel the same way about school supplies. Uh, but, you know, obviously the expanded adult uh, take on that, just any sort of stationary. Sure, yes. Uh, Crisp linen paper. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fool for a that. A lined envelope. I'm a fool for that kind of stuff. The, um, but do you, do you feel relieved to not have to go back to school, or do you actually miss either as a pupil or a, an instructor, doing that in the fall. I used to love going back to school because, you know, we got new books and we got, you know, we were, there were assignments and I oh, had things wow. to do and tasks and, you know, uh, yeah. I Schedules. Yeah, and I really loved going back to school as a teacher because the first because I was a, a, a an ESL teacher mm -hmm. uh, for middle school kids, um, English as a second language. Yes, my first two months of the year were, let's just say, easy breezy because blank stares. <laughs> it, well, yeah, like you you got a room full of kids who are from like seven different countries, so you're you know you're teaching in English, but you're doing it. Not the way you think of teaching. It's so much 
activity-based stuff. Pointing at things and saying the word. Well, well, more than that. It's doing things Ah. and saying what you're doing. And, 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 And that's a weird sort of rote situation, but it's experiential. And that's honestly how people acquire languages when they're toddlers like you're doing a thing and you know you're you're running you're jumping you're skipping you're hopping and your your mom is your dad whoever is saying that stuff to you Mm -hmm. while you're doing it and you're learning those words um and so we would run jump skip and hop I, no, we would not. I, I, a lot of sitting. I, would I, 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 actually, no, it was, there was not a lot of sitting. There was a lot of standing up and, and making, uh, you know, one object be passed from person to person and having conversations about the action that you're doing. Hmm. You know, there was actually more um, activity on my part than the kids because I would be up at the board and out in the classroom you know facilitating the activity but doing crowd work but putting things up on the board so that they could read it hear it do it all at the same time mm. does that make how, how did I how did I do this all those years with you in in my sphere and I not tell you what these things were or did you just forget no I don't the only thing I ever remember you talking about uh, uh, teaching, there's the, the whole Christmas section later in the year. There were, because I was the, so I was at a school that was entirely for English as a second language kids. Right. Entirely for uh, first year kids new to the country. Yes. And they would spend one year at our school and then go on to their neighborhood, their home school. Yes. The second year. And um, that was the school district's plan to immerse kids in English language instruction across the curriculum. So they would go to a math class where they would learn language associated with, with numbers and math. Sure. They would go to a science class and they would go to an art class. And so all of these things were taught across the, across the various curriculums. And I was the English teacher. So they learned language and reading and writing skills in English from me. I I remember you telling me about the, you would get to the Christmas section and and also that you had the giant head of Madonna to teach parts of the body from the, who's that girl to me to, it fell to me to work on vocabulary and usage that were not specific to other curriculum. So like I didn't have to deal with numbers. The math teacher was doing. I didn't have to deal with uh, uh, like science or uh, science or, stuff, but I did really fundamental stuff about like how to describe the parts of your body, yeah. and then we moved on right. from that. There was there was no other science or biology related stuff. Sure. For me, it was all you know, you, cu- the culture of the United States, and so, and that's a tall order. And mm. so, you know, like you know, going to the store, cooking. Holidays, uh, uh, you know, everyday activity kind of stuff. Sports, uh, some sports, but that was again the PE class. Oh, that's true. That was the whole class. Was was that? And so, um, you know, that was the deal. So yes, you you knew that uh, in in the two weeks, the beginning of December, it was the the. Uh, Christmas holiday and other December 
you know, celebrations. And so there's an immense amount of language associated with that stuff. Yeah. You know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and people are talking about that out in the world as those as October, November, and December sure. go along. And so what is mistletoe? What are cranberries? Why do yeah. these things happen? Where did they come from? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um anyway, how did we get off on this topic? Oh, back, back to school. Because I just back to I, I just feel a sense of relief relief of not no, having to go back to school, it. but I guess I liked you it. Clearly miss it. I liked. I don't. No, I don't. Do I miss being a teacher? Not anymore. Okay. But Have you seen the way they're treating teachers these oh, days? Oh no, the worst. No, thank you. Yeah. I, I I lived in the golden age. Believe me. So the uh, no, I've been being. I've been. I've been a writer and a film critic for twenty three years now. Yeah. Uh, I do not miss the struggle of being a public school teacher. Not one bit. Also, I was thinking about this not long ago. I started teaching school when I was 26. I'm 58 now. It's a young man's game. That means that my oldest students from <laughs> 1991 are parents are well into middle age. Like I was 10 to 13 years older than my students when I started. Right. So they're all in their 40s. Yeah. Yeah. It just bl blows my mind, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, we are talking about films. We are. In, uh, this is your first linoleum knife. <laughs> it takes us a while to get there, but we get we, there. We, 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 we shift gears eventually into the discussion of film. Uh, we need to briefly uh, mention the passing of Olivia Newton-John. Yes, we do. If you are a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash linoleum knife, you already know that on the show that we do called Linoleum Nights, we talked about Olivia Newton-John extensively. Yes. Uh, yesterday, in fact. So, uh, just to say that her legacy of film is an unusual one in that she was in one huge movie and then she was in one big cult movie in the early 2000s called Sorted Lives. Right. And then otherwise she was in a lot of not much of anything kind of movies and films that were supposed to be big and tanked and then there's Xanadu. I was going to say, Xanadu which is its endures. Own, <laughs> Xanadu is in its own category. Because yeah. Xanadu was a fiasco that had a giant soundtrack and was considered at the time an embarrassment and then developed a fervent cult following yes. through the decades. And now it is its own kind of legendary. Yeah. Uh, and if you've never seen it, I I anti recommend it because <laughs> it's a very bad film um that I saw in the theater when it was released. I somehow didn't. I I, I saw well, Sergeant Pepper I was thirteen. I saw a Sergeant what Pepper happened? I don't know. I saw a Sergeant yeah. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band in the theater, but somehow I did not see Xanadu. I don't know what was going on. Uh I, she go on. Well no, I, I I have over the years I have come to a place of like if you hate Xanadu, I understand. Yeah. And if you love Xanadu, 
I also understand, and I will pretty much watch it at the drop of a hat, even though I know the many, many, many things (laughs) that are wrong with it. But there's Uh, also there's also stuff that isn't. Yeah, it's a um, it's 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 nuts. Yeah, and I'll watch my favorite parts. Sure, Uh, if you're watching it, I'll pause. If I'm in the living room, I'll pause and watch my favorite parts of it with you. But I, I saw it when I was in high school, when it came out, 1980. And the theater was practically empty. Uh, I went with one of my friends. And there were maybe three other people in the theater. And this was like on a Saturday night. Like, right. no, it was deadly yeah. like from the get-go. And um, I don't know how word of mouth traveled so quickly that it stunk, <laughs> but... People during the animated sequence when Olivia Newton John uh-huh. and what's his face Beck. turn into cartoons, mm-hmm. someone in the back of the theater started making like <laughs> noises. <laughs> and so we started laughing uh-huh. and we couldn't believe that we had seen this movie. What we had seen when we walked out of it. Um, at this point in my life, I think that that finale. Is kind of glorious oh, yeah. because there's just so many things going They're on. They're throwing everything at the screen. Um, this is—it's the kind of fiasco that can somehow encompass animator Don Bluth and Gene Kelly and the Tubes, which I think is right. not easily done. Right. And most importantly, when she's on screen, she makes you forget that you're watching a bad film. True. She's so effortlessly graceful and light. Yeah. Like she floats above it all. And that is her long lasting quality, I think. That no matter what the world was like, no matter what the movie was like that she was in. And can we be real for a moment? Grease is stupid. It's Grease it's, is a bad film. It's inane, <laughs> but it is so, so it somehow beats you into loving it in a right. weird way. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> let's let's not uh, don't don't mishear me. I went back to see it again and again and again when <laughs> yes. I was a kid. I was 14, and that was the summer that it yeah. that it dominated the local movie theater. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll absolutely go see that again. Um, in subsequent decades, I've been like, oh, that is a very stupid movie. Uh, but it's a movie I could watch again anyway. But would still watch, yeah. right. Um, she is... She's she was always the heart of whatever it was that she was in, yeah. and her her ability to make people happy, in spite of whatever else is going on around her or in your own life, that is why she will endure. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I said yesterday on Linoleum Nights, I loved her, and and it, her death surprised me at that. At how much it and how much that you. feeling took over when I learned of it. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, two of a kind, unwatchable, but yeah. great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, her her place in cinema history is is the person who sold the soundtrack, even if the movie tanked. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is the first of two episodes of Linoleum Knife that we're going to record in August. Yes. And if you go to patreon.com slash linoleum knife, you don't even have to be a subscriber to look at the calendar. It's a public of, entry. Of recordings. It's a public entry uh, of uh, 
what we're going to record and when this month because you are traveling a lot. Yes. It's all explained in the calendar. We normally don't post a calendar. Uh, we just drop episodes when we drop them, but it, it warranted it this month because you're gone out of town so often. To that end, uh, we have films to talk about that are already a couple weeks old. Um, and one that's, that is actually not only fairly new, but is opening wide this Friday. So, What's opening wide this Friday? Uh, bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It Did opened it? New York, LA, and a few other markets on the 5th. It opens nationwide on the 12th. Oh, I just say I didn't know that. I also know that a love song, which opened a couple weeks ago, is also expanding this week. Okay. So... Even though a love song is a couple weeks old and we're just talking about it now, it might just be getting to you by this point, Mm -hmm. wherever you happen to live. Um, But first, let's talk about the worst. Uh, uh, The worst of the movies. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, They slash them. Which super bums me out, you know, as... Queer people yeah, yeah. hosting this podcast. We had high hopes. Queer film critics. And quite frankly, pre-excited by the title alone. Yes. Like a brilliant title. What a clever title. For a slasher this is. movie. Yeah. And and that's where it ends. And, and uh, yeah, this this movie is is all potential. You think, oh, it's a slasher movie that's set at a gay conversion camp. Right. And it stars Kevin Bacon, and like, it stars a lot of queer young people, right? But as I mean, well. but Kevin Bacon connecting it back to Friday the Thirteenth, the, the original sort of summer camp slasher, yes. yeah, yeah. And I, there's a little fan service going on there. There is not just in his casting, but in stuff that takes place yeah. in the movie. So this is John. No spoilers, I guess. Yeah, this is yeah. John Logan's directorial debut. He is an acclaimed, multi-Oscar-nominated screenwriter. He wrote Skyfall and The Aviator and you know Gladiator and a lot of different stuff. And uh, this and, is a, and gay and gay right. And it's a Blumhouse movie yeah. and like so on paper I'm like I'm down for all of this. This sounds really exciting. And the premise is there is this camp that this busload of LGBTQ plus teens are being sent to. You got, you know, you're you're gays, you're lesbians, you're trans, you're non-binary, you know, uh, and everybody is there either because they made All the genders are represented. Yes. Yes. They've they've either made a deal with their parents uh, to get something out of this if they endure the week, or in some cases they are sort of self-loathing and want to fix themselves, quote unquote. Yes. Um. Kevin Bacon comes out as the head of the camp, and his his rap could not sound more like enlightened and progressive. It is baffling. The, it happens in the first five minutes of the film. Yeah. And I spent the entire rest of the movie wondering when the when do we circle back on that? When do we when are we going to circle back on that and have that explained to us? Because what he does is come out and say. We're not here to make you believe anything about God. Right. We are happy if you are queer and if you like yourself that way. But if you don't, we're here to help you. And I thought to myself, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that ain't how these things work. Right. And I figured, okay, at, clearly at he's, he's saying all the right things because he has, because he is out of some sense of manipulation. And this is, again, we're going to circle back to this later and find out what's really going on. And we never really do. <laughs> there is one 
line of dialogue from uh, Theo Germain, who's the main, you know, kid yeah, in the movie. Camper. The main camper. Uh, Theo Germain from the TV show uh, Work in Progress. Yes. That's the name of it. Yeah. 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 And, um, and at one point they say, why am I not hearing any, like, Bible thumping or queer bashing taking place in this camp? And the person he's talking to says, I don't know. And I'm thinking, watching it, going, yeah, I don't know either. So, like, <laughs> someone should maybe explain that to me. Yeah, like, At least like, give me another sentence in the script that explains why we are suddenly at a free-to-be-you-and-me gay conversion therapy camp. Right. We, uh, it, we, it, it, is, it is a premise that is utterly, first of all, it doesn't exist well, in the and, world. And if you're setting up as a twist, <laughs> fine. But explain the twist and twist it. Like, do something. It just goes right from sort of like saying all the right stuff to suddenly like really terrible therapy sessions and then out come the electroshocks. Yeah. You know? It's like, mm-hmm. what's even happening here? Right. I um, was so irritated throughout characters written as you know like ticking off boxes mm. of representation rather than characters characters um now in one instance and again i won't spoil it in one instance a character shows up and says something about their reasons for being there that make again no sense at all and then the reason is explained that that nonsense is explained later right again with one sentence and no other explanation um which i guess on a you know a baseline level one sentence if that's all you're going to give me it's enough i sure would have liked that one sentence to explain the camp later on in the film but i didn't get it um also there's a masked axe killer in this movie who disappears for very long chunks of the plot. Right. It's like the snake in bullet train. It's like, oh yeah, we forgot we had this. I guess we gotta throw it in now. Right. Um, Oh yeah, by the way, I didn't see bullet train and you did. Would you like to drop that into this episode? I I didn't even have it on my list. I forgot it existed. Why not? Okay. Um, All right. Let's go back to this masked killer. Uh, Again. Without uh, giving too much away, real killmonger energy going on with this mask, masked uh, murderer. Because when the final act shows up and we learn the identity of the slasher and they explain themselves because the slasher... Always a bust. Uh, well, they don't have to, but True. someone has to explain them at some point in the film unless it's, you know... Uh, uh, Jason, <laughs> sure, yeah. and then you know, mom explains it, but yeah, like Donald Pleasant shows up to right. explain Michael Myers. The slasher explains themselves, uh, and as they're speaking, you're thinking, Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, 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 no, I get it, yeah, oh, keep, yeah, keep murdering people. Then I guess uh, go do your ultimate plan because they even lay out what their, what their hope is, yeah, for more slashing, and and we're sitting there watching it going, well, as queer viewers, yes, we approve. Like, 
I mean, though we don't approve of murder in real life, but in a horror movie setting, yeah. I am on the side of the murderer. <laughs> Always. Well, I, I want I, them to kill and kill creatively and kill with gore and uh, nasty guts flying around. That's what I want from a horror movie. Well, I, I'm more in the, because it's of the Killmonger school, like, you have a point. But yeah, but addition. Your, I might I meant additionally. Methods, yeah. but you have a point. I meant additionally, yes. Yeah. This this killer has a, has a reason for doing the things they were doing. And, but no, no, we can't have, we can't have that. It it cheats you also, again, no spoilers, it cheats you out of a certain satisfaction that you were hoping for when the film is over. Because when the film is over, you realize that no one who had, uh, well, sorry, only one person who had reason to kill actually gets to do any killing. Utterly, utterly, utterly disappointing. All the way around. It's not scary. No. Uh, it is... Uh, it's not provocative. Clunky in narrative ways that yeah. don't... Uh, you know, stuff that doesn't pay off. There's no suspense. There's no in, There's no tension going on. It's, it's not even like satire. No. You know? Like, for no. that title, you think, okay, we're going to ha- make some, some, some sort of... Clever commentary about that the title notion of you filled know, me with hope for the stuff that I didn't get. Yeah, I am not happy about this. Yeah. Uh, and, Disappointed. And there's a here's a spoiler. There's a pink sing along in the middle of the movie, <laughs> and nobody needs that. Hey, nobody need that. I will say, uh, and this is a bit of a self plug, but coming in September, they really want to give they really want to give Pink her Kate Bush moment with this yeah, with this bit. It's not doesn't work. It's not coming along. Co- coming to uh, Shutter in September is Queer for Fear, a multi part documentary about the history of uh, LGBTQ horror from literature to cinema. Yeah, and I'm featured in it, which I'm excited about, and uh, I don't think they needed to like. I don't think anybody is bothering to re-edit the final episodes to include they slashed them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, if you're queer and you feel like you, you kind of got to watch this out of curiosity, mm-hmm. I get that. I yeah. understand. Um, it's on Peacock. It, you know, you can watch it with ads. It won't cost you anything. Yeah, it's streaming. It's on Peacock. You yeah. can just check it out. Um, but yeah, what a bummer. Mm. Like I had hopes, yeah, and I never get what I want. Mm-hmm. Not good at scary movies. Not real estate. <laughs> uh, bullet train. Uh, yeah, I get, can get get bullet train over with. Sure. I didn't watch it, but you did, and bullet train. And I hear it's not good. Yeah, it, I, I look. I thought I was down. I like. Is it better than they slash them? Are we at least on an upward trajectory here? I mean, meh, I guess. All right. I don't know. It, this is a movie that about 20 minutes in, I realized I am not, I'm not here for this. It's not working for me. I don't care about anything that's, that is going to happen. And I'm irritated with this movie's, like, attitude. Because this movie has attitude in buckets. Like, that kind of 90s uh-huh. attitude? Oh, I'm oh, yeah. just guessing. This, it is, it is... I, okay, I was a film festival programmer from 95 to 99, which means uh-huh. I saw 
so many crappy Reservoir Dogs slash yeah. Pulp Fiction ripoff movies yeah. that thankfully the general public will never have to endure. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Yeah, well, that one they had to endure. But um, you what know, was that other one? Amongst Friends. <sighs> I want to say like Jeremy Piven was in one of them. Uh, very, a lucky number eleven? No, it's like was something called like very bad things or something. Oh yeah, like that. that was that, yeah, that's the one about the, the the people in Vegas and they like yeah. kept to bury a body. Oh uh, yeah. Sure. Anyway, it, it is that sort of post Tarantino school of like uh, self conscious camera work and like pop culturey dialogue at a very fast patter and zippy nicknames. And, you know, but also with like ultra violence and gore, but we're going to be flippant about the whole thing. So it's okay. And you can do that. I don't even think Tarantino himself always does it that well. Uh, other people have managed to get away with it, but boy, this movie is so up its own keister in terms of like I said, keister thinking how clever it is on and match how, game seventy five. How impressed it is with its own like you know sort of glib cleverness. It's from the director of Deadpool two, and I didn't mind Deadpool two, but right. a little of that action is going a long way for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just found this really irritating. Basically, Brad Pitt is. This, uh, he's like a snatch and grab artist is what he describes himself as. And he, you know, he spends the entire movie on the phone with Sandra Bullock talking about going to therapy and repeating all these like self-help aphorisms. And he's supposed to grab a, a briefcase and get off at the next stop. But of course, everything gets complicated. All of these different international assassins all happen to be on this same train, including uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry referring to themselves as the twins. Okay. Uh, these guys named like Lemon and Tangerine. Um, Bad Bunny as a Bolivian hitman out for vengeance. Uh, Joey King. Joey, yeah, Joey King. Uh, somebody known as the Prince. It, it just... It's exhausting. It's longer than two hours, and it's just... It has so little to offer. Literally 20 minutes in, I was like, I, I, this, is not, this is not good, and it's not getting any better. And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what will I like about it when eventually it shows up on streaming um anything I, you know i there aren't nearly enough japanese characters and i and i'm hearing people talk and it's about set that. In japan. it's set in japan it's set on, on the actual on, bullet on train bullet from, train. from like yeah. tokyo to kyoto um and so it, it is that sort of like western fetishy thing of like oh look anime characters oh, and like that sort of thing that's always exciting the train itself is pretty cool and okay. sleek no, that's you know? that's what i'm talking about and uh they look like they have really good snacks so now I want to go to Japan and ride on and the bullet train. And have the snacks. Yeah, have the so snacks. you want to ride on the bullet train but, for the snacks. But be in the quiet car and not have to deal with all of these yeah Do they have a quiet car? They do. That, that's one of the jokes in the movie is these guys are getting into an argument and a woman keeps shushing them because it's the quiet car. We, is she an assassin? No, she's just a passenger. Oh, well, but they all are assassins though, right? Right. So she should assassinate them for not being quiet. In but the they're quiet not, car. well, that's the thing. They're not all assassins. Over the course of the film, they manage to explain why only the assassins are left on the train. They don't explain why seemingly everyone who works on the train is gone. Is also gone too. Yeah. Listen, after watching They Slash Them, I was ready for some assassinations. <laughs> some righteous, justified Killmonger level assassinations. There is some murderlation going on here, but boy, you had to listen right. to so much talky talk talk first. Okay. Well, why don't we uh, stop talking about this film and move on to something we like? Let's pray. Ooh. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so Prey is the new Predator movie. Yes. Did you know that you wanted a new Predator movie? Surprise, you do. You did not know that you wanted a new Predator movie. Um, because if I'm being honest, I've seen all the Predator movies. Uh-huh. Um, and I like the first one. And I don't really care about any of the others. Yeah, I mean, because you've got what? Predator 2, which is the Danny Glover Future City one. Yeah. You've got the two Alien versus Predator movies, which are a dog's breakfast. Yes. You've got, there's like a Robert Rodriguez one with like um, yeah. Adrian Brody, right? Yeah, I didn't like any of the ones between the first one and this and one. And then there's that Shane Black one that was terrible, remember? With like Olivia, with Olivia Munn. <laughs> I that's, don't, even, that's I don't only, even remember that one. That's the only sequel I've seen. I managed to sit out the rest of this franchise. But yeah, that one was a couple years ago. It was it was pretty bad. This one feels like a real movie yeah. that has, happens to have Predator in it. Yeah. <laughs> and and maybe that will bother people who love Predator. Maybe maybe the the elevation of, you know, actual characters. <laughs> You know, well, I mean, around Predator, the only connector, some OG Predator fans, but the, the only connective tissue of the series has been the Predator. Right. They're all over the place geographically and, you know, in time and whatnot. Uh, what is bothering people, inevitably, of course, is that, you know, the, the hero a young is, woman is a girl, a young woman fights yes. and does things. Yes, exactly. That, and and I, I'm sorry. Uh, who who's bothered by this Alonso? Uh, you know, internet trolls. No, I don't know them. I've no, spent my life avoiding them. No one them. we know personally. Yeah, okay. Internet trolls. I, and, and no one I follow, the people I follow are the ones who are dragging the internet trolls. Well, of and course. that's been fun. Of course. So it's set in the 18th century. Yes. Uh, a young Comanche woman named Naru, played by Amber Midthunder. Yes. Uh, who I know from the series Roswell, New Mexico. You she do was indeed. a regular on that show. And I used to watch it because uh, I was looking for uh, anything that would resemble the Roswell, New Mexico that I uh, grew up in. And Unlike uh, the first Roswell show. There, there was a little more uh, Roswell authenticity in this uh, iteration, but still not, you know, a ton. And uh, still Roswell, Vancouver. She... <laughs> she uh, she was from uh, she was from northern New Mexico, I think. She's from New Mexico. Amber with Thunder. Yeah, and um, so she plays uh, a young Comanche woman who is a uh, sort of like a, a self-taught uh, herbal healer. Yeah. You know, she knows all the she knows everything about the 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 land around her and how you know what can what can take care of you and what's what will kill you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she wants to be a hunter, though, yes. and she's getting better at it. But, you know, the dudes mm. are sort of like, you can't hunt. You're a girl, you know. And she, Although not her and brother. They, her brother knows that she's sort of on her way there, but even he's sort of like, you're not there yet. Yeah. You know, pump the brakes. Um, but she sees the predator. Yes. And, and so she has to convince them. Uh, y'all, there's a thing out there that uh, just ate a bear. We yeah, just ate a whole bear. <laughs> I watched it happen, and now we have to try uh, to find it and kill it. And it is a very fast-moving, exciting action movie uh, about this 
young woman who is learning to hunt the the biggest hunter of them all. Yeah. That's that's the log line, I guess, you know. Well, and that it's it's crazily analog because usually in these movies it's like Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger and his giant machine gun or whatever. And here, like the most advanced technology is when the French show up with a flintlock. Right. You know. I uh was fully entertained by this. It's and terrific. It is uh it is it is l- lovely filmmaking as well. It's, it's direct- not simply an entertaining action movie. Uh, say it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who did yeah. Ten Cloverfield Lane, yeah. which is also about a very capable woman in stress- stressful circumstances. You are firmly planted in a place. It is atmospherically, uh, you know, enveloping. It is. You know, beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so you got some CGI animals. The industry, if y'all saw Nope, you know. Or RRR. <laughs> or RRR. The industry is moving away from uh, trained animals in, in, in film and television. CGI has, you know, is replacing real animals. And sometimes the technology is there. That you and you don't notice. Sometimes it's not. I'd go fifty-fifty on this one. There yeah. are moments when I see an animal in this film and I think, "Oh, that looks real," and then other moments I think, eh, "Almost real," you know, uncanny valley animal. Uh, I mean, you you yeah. watch it on your laptop. I watch it on TV. I would like to see this in the theater. Wouldn't it be nice to see it on a screen? Yeah, yeah. I, I wish that, that that this weren't under the whole sort of Disney Fox thing yeah. of let's just kick it to Hulu. Uh, I'm wondering if some of that stuff. If, if, if the eye would take it in differently. I mean, sometimes the bigger it is, the faker it looks, but other times I think you, you, it, it, it is swept up by other things around it, and so it's less noticeable. That is true. Um, but they know that more people than not will watch this film on a television Eventually, or, or, sure. or, or, an, or a different kind of device. Right. And the big screen is a short window of time for a smaller number of people. Yeah. Or in a movie like this, none at all. Or on the back of a chair in an airplane. And, also that. And so it's the, 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 the experience of viewing a film, when you're making it, you gotta, you got to take that into account now. Who's yeah. going to see it and where are they going to watch it? Um, Did you watch it in English or in Comanche? I watched it in English. Okay. Because yeah. there is a Comanche soundtrack version that's all subtitled. And that's available on Hulu as well. That's my understanding. So yeah. is it is it a dub and other than the moments where they're actually speaking uh, Comanche with each uh, other? I don't or do know. They shoot I, it I don't twice? know. If they, I don't know if they shot it twice. I don't know if it was all ADR. And I don't. I, I hmm. don't know the story there. Interesting. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, it 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 looks good and it moves well and it's engaging and Amber Mid Thunder is a, a captivating screen presence. It's magnetic. Um, She's been around for a while. Like yeah. she's like mid twenties, but she's been acting since I think she was like ten. Wow. So she's a long list of credits. Now, do I need another Predator movie after this? No. Well, I think what this movie does is. But remi- if you come up with some nice thing, exactly to to, to decorate with a Predator, the a, 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 <laughs> I'll, a, I'll, I'll give it a shot. A franchise you're done with, a genre you're done with, even yeah. like a filmmaker you're done with. 
I think can, can always they can surprise you. Yes, they yeah. can. They can. They can. They can surprise you. They can redeem themselves. They can go in a, ho- a totally different direction. You're like, oh, I didn't. Would not have asked for this, but I'm glad I got it. So yeah, I'm not necessarily craving more predators, but if <laughs> if they can if they can come up with spins as interesting as this one is, then yeah, why not? Um. somebody on Twitter was talking about the idea of sort of like mashing them up with other franchises the way they did with Alien like you know Predator for the Planet of the Apes or something (laughs) and Bibbs was like no 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 X-Files Predator (laughs) um I would like to see Predator show up in one of the many Julia Child based (laughs) cultural (laughs) products that we keep being given how does Julia outsmart the Predator? I'll tell you. With a creme anglaise. Yeah. <laughs> I loved Julia Child. Everyone loved Julia Child. But there's so much Julia Child media yeah. in the world. She invented um, food, Dave. There is... Uh, we will always be in her debt for There's a need food. for Julia versus Predator. <laughs> so give me some of that. <laughs> Would watch. Let Meryl Streep resurrect uh, that <laughs> role. Uh, fight the Predator, Meryl. Mm. Could happen. Mm. A love song. Yes. Written and directed by Max Walker Silverman. First time filmmaker. Stars Dale Dickey mm-hmm. and Wes Studi. Yes. And very few other people. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, Definitely a COVID... Uh, production <laughs> in terms of like when it was shot and how it was you know staged because everything takes place outside there's like maybe half a dozen other folks in the film ish uh who pop in from time to time to ten, talk to west studi or dale dickey 10 or 12 there's like yeah. there's the little girl with the four silent brothers who yeah. are hilarious there's the lesbian couple. There's the mailman, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you're Pretty right. Pretty much that. Uh, okay, so Dale Dickey plays a woman who is widowed. Uh, Wes Studi plays a man who is widowed. They have been in, uh, they have not been in contact since they were in high school, where they were kind of sweet on each other, but didn't really make anything of it. Right. Now they're in their, what, 50s? We'll say. Uh, I think say it's been 50 years since high school. So, so maybe they're, they're like in their 60s. 70. Okay. They're old and they're in their 60s. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah. They write to each other. And he says, I'll meet you. At that place near the thing At where that, we went that time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lake. Yeah. Kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. She goes in a little camper. And she waits for him. And eventually he shows up. They spend a day or two together talking, coming to something that might be the opening door of being in love. And I won't tell you how it ends. It is a very, very quiet movie where the action is on their faces. Mm-hmm. Hers, his, 
Uh, has Wes Studi ever starred in anything? Wasn't he? Or has he always been a supporting character? I want to say he was in one of those like 80s or 90s westerns, like. Not oh, he was Squanto. in. He was in all of them. Not no, but I mean, like, is the lead like, like he wasn't Squanto in Squanto: A Warrior's Tale, but he, I thought he was the lead in something. Geronimo, an American legend. There we go. Yeah, um, something with a colon in the title. Yes. Um, so, well, that gives him, uh, you know, a leg up in in terms of like being a lead character in a film. Uh, on Dale Dickey, she has been a character actress her entire yeah. uh, career. Um, and it's about time, first yeah. of all, that she was, you know... Uh, leading lady. The leading lady. But I love them together yeah. as two people quietly talking to each other. It's a very short film. It's about 80 minutes long. Mm-hmm. But in that 80 minutes, with minimal action and minimal dialogue, you learn about them and you learn who they are and you learn about the things they hope for. You learn about what they know of the world and of each other. You learn about their loneliness. And that's for me, that's what this film is about. It's about the desire to not be lonely. Yeah. This is one of those films where like the dialogue is lovely and it's really precisely written, but it's, there's so much sort of silent movie acting going on in terms of, and not in the exaggerated, like clutching your chest. There's kind. no Oscar clip in this movie. No, I mean, with th- someone giving a monologue. Yeah. Of, you this know, this yeah. is like, this is Anna Maria Falconetti's silent movie acting. Like this is passion of Joan of Arc where you get these sustained close ups and the, characters are thinking and contemplating and considering and you know grappling and doing whatever and it's just all there on their faces and it's mesmerizing because Mm -hmm. the two of them are so talented and they've been at this long enough and frankly have i think what they bring to this in addition to just their their sort of acumen but they as a character actor in a movie you have to take your two lines or your, you know, one page or whatever and build an entire character around that and make an impression so that even if you're barely in the movie, the audience thinks about you when it's over, remembers that you were in it, all of that stuff. And so to take that energy and that ability and apply it to a protagonist gives you these really rich performances because they're doing all that stuff, but they get to hang around. Right. Right. She was in uh, Winter's Bone, which is, which is really where I first took serious notice of her. Because mm-hmm. um, she's so mean <laughs> in that movie. Um, and, uh, but what I love about this is there's this idea that, and it's pervasive and it's false, this idea that as you age, your possibilities diminish and there's nothing you can do about that. Like, it's almost like you should expect it, it's inevitable, and it's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not true. 
what I love about this film is that it explores what you can reasonably expect from life as you age and experience loss and and can you have hope for connection with other human beings now there is a third main character in the film and it's her magical radio <laughs> true okay this is me quibbling all right <laughs> i'm gonna quibble a little bit here the radio is like the stage manager in our town it is <laughs> for real she has a beautiful Longines Symphonette AM transistor radio. And every time the camera closes up on it, I'm like, I want that. Like, I want that radio. It's so beautiful and irrelevant. <laughs> and not. Like, what are you going to pick up on this radio? Well, mm. Dale Dickey's. Dale Dickey. This is, is the mailbox in <laughs> the lake house. In the lake house. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Every time she turns on the radio, it's all static, static, perfect thematic song. Yeah. Like, apparently, in the middle of nowhere, on AM radio, there are these uh, uh, progressive Americana kind of stations where <laughs> you can hear, you know, Uncle Tupelo and, 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 and you know, classic blues singers and she stuff. She never winds you know. up on, like, the gay-hating preacher channel. Never. <laughs> Not once. <laughs> I, it was one of those I'll allow it things. Yeah. Because, I mean, is She all, even says, she, there's yeah. even a line of dialogue. She says, you know, you turn on the radio and it always just plays the right song. And I'm like, that's not true. It is absolutely not true. You're going to get the hey-yo, 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 ah-ah-ah song <laughs> from whoever, like uh, Maroon 5 or, or, or the Lumineers or whatever. That's what you're going to get when you randomly turn on the radio. I, no, I, I look, I'll allow it. I think because every song, every, all the music in this movie is diegetic, right? It either comes from the radio or they perform it, right? Is yes. It, you know, yes. So that's, it's a choice and it's maybe a little <laughs> cutesy, but I'll No, I do allow it. I, I, I really love this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, we were talking about this not long, not a few, we were talking about this last week. We we're like, you know, you turn on the radio and, oh, it's Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a Tom Waits song in here that probably didn't have the budget for probably that. Not, but, but, um, but yeah, stuff you would never hear on a radio. Somebody yeah. always manages to find like the cool station. Right. There. Right. The all Edith Piaf channel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and then I did my Tom Waits impersonation for you. Yes, you did. <laughs> Want me to do it again? Right Would here? you? Oh, I, think, okay. I think the audience wants it. <laughs> I live in a garbage can. <laughs> there, that's my Tom Waits impersonation. Drunk in an alley, putting out a cigarette in my eyeball. <laughs> Respect to Tom Waits. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Resurrection. Yes. From Andrew Simmons. Uh, Siemens, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, executive produced by its star, Rebecca Hall. Yep. Uh, starring her and Tim Roth. Uh, it is about a woman who is uh, uh, very, very, very protective of her teenage daughter. She is... Uh, uh, 
micromanaging, let's say she is super uh, capable and uh, uh, caretaker-ish of that daughter who's about to go off to college. Yes. Always a fraught moment for any parent. Yes. She's a single mom. And then a man shows up that she's not expecting. And when she meets this man, played by Tim Roth, she walks right up to him, calls him by name, says, leave me alone. You've already tried to destroy me once before. Leave me alone. And he says, madam, I don't know you. And now, and now we're off to the races. Yeah. Is what we learn about Rebecca Hall's character. We learn why she is so overly protective of the daughter. Is that she has been traumatized deeply in the past. And she has carried that traumatic experience and internalized it. And it has, it has shaped her present because there was not any real intervention therapeutically right. to help her live a functional you know, life where she has a sense of well-being. It has shaped her daily experience, her daily existence, to a successful uh, effect in terms of her job. Mm-hmm but to a hellish extent as it relates to her personal life, and these two things begin to bleed into each other. She keeps seeing the man in various places, random locations, until finally the man says to her, you're right, I'm back, and I'm here to control you again the way I did when you were young. Do this, do that, do this other thing, and then report back to me. And so she becomes uh, stuck in a loop of wild behavior that is uh, uh, destructive to her and to... And destructive. And and to her work environment, to her daughter. And you don't know if any of it's real. You don't know if what she's experiencing is real or if she is so, uh, again, so traumatized that she is breaking apart and not, you know, experiencing reality anymore. Um, you did not like this film. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Am I, I, am I wrong? I, Co- correct me. Now. I did not enjoy Well, no, I, I can't say I enjoyed it either because I was like, <laughs> no, no, like no, no, the no, whole no. time. I yeah. admire this film. All I right, think it's well right. done. It does yeah. exactly what it sets out to do. But what it set out to do is make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> and it did successfully. Yeah. So yeah, it's a movie that I recommend aesthetically, but I can't say, "Ooh, you must watch this. You'll have the best time." Right. I'm not going to tell you how it ends or if, or even what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty clear by the final moment that we know what has been going on. I think there's some interpretation. To, to me, I mean, you could possible. you could maybe call it ambiguous, but yeah. I eh, I don't. Um, Rebecca Hall. 
Oh, man. First of all, she can be in a movie that's, like, awful, and you want to watch her. Uh, she's such a commanding performer that you fully believe what is happening to her. Mm-hmm. You fully believe that she believes that it's all happening to her, and you believe it might be happening to her. And it might be happening to her. Yeah. Like the Tim Roth character, Tim Roth, of course, an equally commanding <laughs> yeah. performer. When he's on camera, you think, oh, no, he's he's really there. This is happening. It's, this is the other people can see him. Right. They're out in public. They're out in public. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, she goes on such a journey, not just in yeah. terms of falling apart, but like the character is so you know, efficient and in charge and, you know, put together and all this stuff at the beginning of the movie. And by the end of it, she has just come undone right. over all this stuff, which, as you say, may or may not be, be happening. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, there's no entertainment no. to watching this film. There is only, as you said... Respect and admiration. Suspense and tension and the feeling of being put through the ringer yeah. and, you know, admiring these performances. Sure. And, uh, and the skill of the director to put you through this vice, you know. Yeah. I um, would recommend that if you are someone who has experienced, uh, you know, abuse at the hands of someone uh, in your life, it might not be the film for you. Might not. Uh, You might not find uh, anything of value here. It might be too much uh, because it is intense. It's quite intense. And it is... You know, a it is it is a psychological thriller. When they tagline those things on the on the the streaming apps, right? This is an accurate description. But you know, if you admire like Rebecca Hall doing the really tricky performances like Christine yeah. and stuff like that, you know, you want to watch her do this. Yeah. And now my favorite movie of the week: Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, a bunch of rich kids are in a giant mansion. Yes. And they're having a hurricane party. The mansion belongs to the parents of uh, Pete Davidson's character. Into the party uh, comes Amanda Stenberg as uh, Pete Davidson's best friend, a character named Sophie. And Sophie's girlfriend, B, played by Maria Bakalova from uh, the most recent... Borat, uh, subsequent movie film. Borat film. Uh, Rachel Sennett from Shiva Shiva Baby Baby is here. Um, As is Lee Pace. Yes. Lee Pace and Maria Bakalova's characters are sort of the only outsiders. And Lee Pace is significantly older than everyone else in the movie, and you're wondering what he's doing there. And then you learn. Um, so, Sophie, Amanda Stenberg, as the hurricane party uh, kicks in, the hurricane begins. Everyone starts drinking their faces off and doing cocaine. Although Sophie is just back Except from rehab. Except for Sophie, who is just back from rehab. Sophie says... Let's play Bodies, 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 which is a murder mystery game where one person is the killer and everyone else has to decide who the killer is. 
like werewolf or mafia. Yeah. Also, Sophie, upon arrival, everybody's like, oh. Why are you here? Why are you here? And there's immediate levels of tension with everybody that we'll find out more about later. Yeah. And then someone really dies. And I'm not even going to tell you who really dies. Because that death kicks off a series of events that turn turns everybody in the movie inside out. <laughs> and more, most importantly, against each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to tell you anything else that happens. I want you to walk into this knowing very little. Uh, it's that much fun. Can it's, we talk about the broad strokes of... Oh, what, yeah, what yeah we can. Okay. Yeah, it's from uh, Helena Rain. Written by Sarah DeLapp and uh, Kristen Rupenian. And they have created uh, a film that is about the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, internet culture. In a, uh, in a story where none of the characters have Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Because the hurricane knocks out all that. And they are stuck without their phones but they act like they still have them. <laughs> no, I think that's actually why they have to start, why they, part of why they ultimately get so bluntly honest with each other is because they don't have their phones. Yeah. And there's nothing else to do. There is a culture of young people eating each other alive online. Yeah. And, uh, I, I watch it, I see it go down, and I wonder how it will all turn out as the years roll by, you know. Um, it's distressing, but also I'm 58, so like I'm looking at it from a whole other perspective, sure. you know. Um, a safe vantage point. <laughs> you kind of, you know, quipped at me. Oh, yeah, this is a movie about Gen Z for other generations to watch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you said you were the all the people... In... Oh, I was the oldest person in the theater. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And none of them were laughing. Because <laughs> this is a horror comedy. Yes. And it's got a point. It's about something other than just people, you know, uh, dying. Yeah. Um, and... I am really thrilled by how low-key the satire is. Mm. There's one, one actor in the film, Rachel uh, Senna, mm. who plays the most obnoxious of all of them. Yeah. But even she is sort of calibrating things, <laughs> like taking it down just, just a hair. Yeah. You know, because if everyone in the movie was as, you know, flailing around as her character is, the, 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 the point would become a sledgehammer. Right. And it's not. No. It is... The other characters are all playing it pretty straight, if not uh, uh, reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, really dig this. And there's a... The end of... I, all I'll say is I really dig the ending. <laughs> I, I I won't I won't go into it. I, I 
I, we're talking around it. Sure, I know, no, I, I know, but I'm just I'm, I'm encouraging you, yeah, to see it, see this one. I, yeah. I, you know, I always, I always like my dark comedies a little meaner, but you know, it's but pretty if it mean. were meaner, if it were meaner, uh-huh. you would be complaining that they were underlining the the message too much. I suppose you know what I mean. Possible, yeah. And I, I but I, I, and just on a technical level, I feel like they could have gotten more mileage out of the house. Out of just the nooks and crannies of it all and where things are in relation to other things. I kind of mm. felt like as a setting, they could have Perhaps. they could have milked that a little more. But yeah, these are quibbles for the most part. Yeah, this is this is funny, this is entertaining. I love the performances. It's I, it's vicious. It is. Yeah. 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 Um Yeah. Buy a ticket to a movie theater. <laughs> Go see it. Uh, okay, we're done with uh, films. Yes, we have a couple of letters. letters. Oh, but first, let's mention again, as you pointed out earlier, we there do is, have a Patreon. There is a Patreon.com slash Linoleum Knife. Uh, starting for as low as a dollar a month, we start offering you extra content from our daily LKRX recommendations to Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, where we do a short episode that's devoted entirely to one or two movies. Uh, and then above that, even more, 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 LKTV, a podcast of the television, Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics, uh, the aforementioned Linoleum Nights, monthly club meetings, lots of other fun stuff. Uh, if it sounds like it's for you, it might be. Linoleum then it is. Night. It is. It is. It absolutely is with no question. Buy less product, buy more podcast. There you go. Yeah. As the as as, <laughs> as Rachel Sennett says in uh, in Bodies Bodies Bodies, doing a podcast is really hard. <laughs> Patreon.com slash linoleum knife. She hate listens to your podcast. <laughs> your upper middle class. <laughs> uh, hello, Dr. Steve. Hmm. Along the lines of, is it great or were you eight? Mm. I've started thinking about how a film can be historically and culturally important, even if it is, as a movie, just okay. <laughs> On the socials, I recently commented that a popular movie by a popular director was good but not great. You would have thought I had called the popular director's mother a whore. <laughs> and many people started telling me about the importance of the film's representation, references, meaning, symbolism, etc. Especially invested were those who most closely identified with the themes of the film. And here's the thing. I don't think they were wrong. All those ideas were there and will spawn discussion and think pieces and term papers for generations to come. In the end, however, the movie just left me feeling a little flat. I felt the parts were greater than the whole, even if this movie will stand as a historic and cultural landmark to some. So, my question to you is this. Are there some films you would consider very important, even if they were just okay to watch as movies? Well, there's a couple of different ways to look at this. I think you have, obviously, your movies that are historical in terms of what they represent. Yes. The Jazz Singer is a historical movie, because that was right. the first sort of all talking feature. Yes. It's not a good movie, a good movie no. but here we are. You know, the first 3D movie in feature film and release was a film called Buona Devil. Yeah. Also not good. Right. Uh, but, you know, they're, they come up in film texts because they, you know, are important. Um, I mean, beyond that, yeah, I think you can talk about films that address subjects that had been heretofore taboo, you know, like. I'd say, you know, The Boys in the Band, for example. Like, probably first American studio movie 
to to feature you know uh, uh, gay characters and talk try and talk realistically about and gay life played by gay actors not all of them not all of them but no, some of them yeah some of them not the ones you think either right <laughs> cliff gorman not gay right. uh anyway uh, and so and and you can go back and forth about whether or not that's a good movie or not and i think there are i think it, it is it has things in its favor yeah. and maybe other things less so but it, it does become this sort of historical thing um but you know and, and then there's that whole notion of like sort of like the movies that win awards because they seem so important or whatever but they aren't necessarily like important Cinema, like Coda, I think is a more important movie about representation of deaf people in American cinema than it is the best film of 2021. But that's just me. In 1982, uh, I took a film class, and the professor said, "What's your favorite movie of the year?" And we all kind of went around the room. It was a small class; it was like 12 people in the class, real, real small. I said, E.T. <laughs> he goes, really? I was like, yeah. He goes, not Gandhi? I was like, no way, E.T. <laughs> I liked Gandhi. It was very important. It won an Academy Award for Best Picture. That's right. I haven't watched it since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is it a bad movie? No, it's a good movie. Uh, it's historically important. And it got, you know... It won all those awards that year. Am I sitting down to watch it? Randomly? No. Will I watch E.T. if it just happens to be on television and I'm there and there it is and it's there for me? Yeah, I'll sit right down and watch the whole rest of it. Love E.T. Yeah. Now. And I think you could actually make a case that E.T. is more... is, is an aesthetically a yeah. better film. I think Gandhi is sort of elephantine in the way that so many historical epics can be. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, Richard Attenborough is not your go-to for, like, you know, cinema in terms of, right. you know, the craft of it the way that Spielberg is. Right. Know? Right. Anyway, uh, off the top of my head, that's my memory of someone telling me, you know, here's a great film and you should like it more than you like. This other one. This other one. Um Top of my head, though, I don't... Historical firsts and representational firsts are valuable because they are valuable for those reasons. They don't have to be good movies that last in your, in your heart unless you are needing that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, let's go back to the topic of they slash them. Yeah. The gay conversion therapy camp in But I'm a Cheerleader is more, rep is more realistic than <laughs> the one in They Slash Them. Was the gay conversion therapy camp in But I'm a Cheerleader the first time I've ever seen that portrayed and subsequently mocked and ridiculed in a mainstream film? It was. Do I like the film But I'm a Cheerleader? I do not. It and was post my time. I didn't need it. I wasn't there for it because I was already in my 30s when it came out. I wasn't young sure. and in need of that film. Yeah, look, I, 
if there's a 14 year old out there who loves they slash them because they're finally seeing like a non-binary, a non-binary hero main character hero of the story yeah i great and i don't begrudge them that um oh but, by the way let's go back to this first for a second theo germain oh, is is a star pretty good in this movie yeah. and uh and needs to be in more stuff absolutely yeah but yeah, I I think you you, and again, I think this is why film history is so interesting, and why people you know the movies don't change, but culture changes around them, and the way that we consider them, and what we want from them, and expect from them changes. And so you know, it may well be that the movie you're talking about in ten years' time will seem sort of like quaint or overstated because other movies have come along to do the same thing in a different way. Do you know what movie he's talking about? Because I, I don't. I guess you I, can tell me off the mic. I will. Since he didn't yes. see fit to exactly. put it in the letter. Uh, this is from Gabriel. Hearing last week's emails inspired me to send in my own list. Hmm. Uh, we knifed a list we did knife first a time list. in a while. Yeah, it, was, it had been a while since anyone had sent in a list of their yeah. favorite movies uh, for us to knife. Uh, to mercilessly judge exactly. is really what we are doing mm. when you send us in a list. So get ready. That's right. You're being judged. Uh, he continues, I've been listening to you two for years. After finding out about you from the greatly missed Pop Rocket, ah. I'm now a devoted listener and a Patreon supporter. Oh, great. I just want to thank you two for opening up my horizons as a young college student in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who knew nothing about movies, to someone who just wants to thank you. Oh, wait. (laughs) I'm reading the sentence again. To someone who loves and appreciates the spectrum of color that cinema has to offer. Uh, I love that you guys always make a point to review the smaller, independent, international titles that may not get the attention they deserve. It is definitely helping to find my movie taste today. I would be honored for you to knife my all-time favorite movies. This is not what I think is the peak of cinema, but it is the select group of films that I can rewatch at any moment, no matter my mood. It does tend toward the lighter side, with a lot of millennial gay camp, and I love them all nonetheless. Morris. Oh yeah, sure. Dig, I dig Morris. I do. Saw that for on a screen for the first time. Uh, oh right, when they did that like last 4K summer, they brought it back yeah. to the new art. Yeah. Some like it hot. Course. Unassailable. Pillow Talk. Love it. Love. Clue. Mm-hmm. Clueless. The Birdcage. Um, fine. Talk about very movies. much like very much like But I'm a Cheerleader. These are films that came along after the new queer cinema, after Alonzo and I were both full grown adults. Yes. And don't come to me after The Living End and Poison <laughs> and Go Fish and Swoon and then say, hey, I've got a cute little gay comedy for you about how we should all be nice to gay people. My first thought to you upon watching that movie would be like, don't care, don't need it, past it. I'm an act up, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I mean, maybe... It's one, all about timing. Maybe one of these days I have to give The Birdcage another shot, but that movie just annoyed me no end when it came out and it drives me nuts when I constantly see it on like top 10 gay film lists I'm like do better gays to that end the next on the list is Mm -hmm. To Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar which came out roughly the same time as The Birdcage I like this one more than The Birdcage because I think Wesley Snipes is so good well yeah (laughs) 
If these are the choices, yeah. And, I mean, you got. I mean, and like it introduced me to DV by Deanna Vreeland. Oh wow! I didn't okay. know that book existed <laughs> until Patrick Swayze waves a copy around, and I was like, "What is that book?" You guys, y'all. If you've never read DV by Deanna Vreeland, go get one. It's bonkers, and you and it will be your guide to life. I love suffers. <laughs> we, we arrived at Saint Tropez and everyone was water skiing. <laughs> I was with the Maharaja. He water skied as well. Um. So yeah, to Wong Fu, it's fine. Okay, it's, right. fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's 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 weak weak sauce. Adventures of Priscilla, but whatever. Pretty woman. Hey, I, I have a soft spot for Pretty yeah, Woman. I, you yeah, you can't hate Pretty Woman. It just it is what it is. Uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, all right, there you go. Uh, Le Bonheur. Anya Svarta's Le Bonheur. I don't know that I've seen that one. You have. You saw it with me. Which one is Le Bonheur? It's the one about the guy who has a wife and a kid, and he's very happy. They have two kids. He's very happy, but then he meets another woman. I don't think I've seen this. And his wife is like, you know what? I'm going to fix this. <laughs> you watched it with me. It's okay if you've forgotten it. I'll watch it again. But it's great. I I, I think you are misremembering that I watched this with you. I, I think I would remember an Anya Svarta movie. Well, maybe you forgot an Anya Svarta movie. Either way, The African Queen. Okay. Orlando. Yeah. Moonstruck. How many are on this list? A lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, Moonstruck is great. Safe. Mm-hmm. Showgirls. Yes. Steel Magnolias. Uh, that's another one of those ones that the <laughs> Tu Wong Fu people always love. Do you hear that, Gabriel? You're one of those Tu Wong Fu people. You know who you are. <laughs> those those birdcage people. <laughs> All right. We're going to give you halvesies on the birdcage and halvesies on Tu Wong Fu and halvesies on Steel Magnolia, <laughs> which means that your list is 85% knife, a solid B+. Plus, because you also included at the very end a PS where you say the most recent movie I've watched as of writing this is Head, the 1968 Monkeys movie. Ooh. And I'm still in awe. So we're going to bump you up to like 88% yes, now. Yes, you definitely get extra credit a, for that You get extra one. credit for that. R.I.P. So, Bob Rafelson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, overall, I, good list. Definitely. And I, I just looked this up on IMDb. I have never seen Le Bonheur. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think was you, it uh, was it an apparition of you sitting on the couch next to me? No, I think it was maybe almost, it, perhaps perhaps it was some friend. Criterion Channel. I was yeah, I was hmm. elsewhere hmm. at a screening or out of town. Perhaps it was my other lover. Always a possibility. Yeah. Perhaps you too have a happy home life, and yet are, and yet your head is turned by another someone another lover. Um. All right, we're done. Bird K92 Bird. gave us a five-star review. Oh, yes. Not Bird Cage. Bird K. Bird letter K92. Okay. Says, love Dave and Alonzo's reviews and Lil Banter. Oh. Oh, we got Lil Banter. Lil, Lil Banter. Okay. It's, uh, you know, Lil Kim's uh, <laughs> child. <laughs> 
thank you. Uh, if you too would like your five star review read on the show, hang leave on. Us there's one. more to this five star review. Oh, there's more. Definitely a comfort listen and a little heart emoji. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Birdcake ninety two. We appreciate it. If you too would like your five star review read on the air, leave us one at Apple Podcasts, uh, where you can subscribe to this show for free. Um, you can also, of course, leave positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify and Stitcher Radio, uh, Amazon Music, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean. Um, you can check out my other podcasts, by the way. I am the co-host of Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, Breakfast All Day on YouTube and in your podcatcher with Christy Lemire, uh, and periodically popping into uh, Deck the Hallmark. And incidentally, I will be at... Uh, Bramble Fest coming up n- not this weekend but next weekend in uh, Greenville, South Carolina and apparently tickets are still available for the in-person and virtual versions you can go to deckthehallmark.com slash fest for more information uh, you can follow us on the socials at linoleumcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook thank you Blue for our wonderful theme music uh, get all of his stuff at uh, blueblu.bandcamp.com and of course drop us a line with or lists or comments or anything else at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com thanks so much for listening we'll be back next time with more and until then goodbye <laughs>